Romans chapter 1, I hope in these first many weeks, I, I realize we're going through a ton of scripture. Uh, it's not because I don't have anything else to say or do, but part of it is I want you to see it's not my words, it's his. The other part is I want you to see how the Bible all pulls together. And tonight, the Bible's going to make a whole lot more sense to you. We have started about the gospel. Of course, we're going through Romans. And I want you to notice in verse number one, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, that's an interesting statement, as I said in the first lesson. It's not the gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or any other man. It's the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel has nothing to do with man. I, again, I won't fight anybody over this, but I think it's unbiblical to say the gospel of Matthew or the gospel according to Matthew. No, God wrote the Bible, not Matthew. Matthew is the penman, and it's not Matthew's gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everywhere the word gospel's mentioned, it's mentioned either about Jesus or God, one and the same. And uh, so I want you to understand that. Look up down to verse number 15. Romans chapter 1, verse 15. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of whom? Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now we've been talking about the gospel. The gospel is not just the good news. A lot of people say, well, the gospel means good news. That's not the full definition. The word gospel means it is the good news of what Jesus did to get us to heaven that is to be shared with somebody else. It's not just the good news of salvation. It's the good news of how we get saved so we can go out and tell somebody else how we got saved. It, it's far more intense than just good news. Okay, I had a grandson born five weeks ago. That's good news, at least for them. Not for me, uh, but uh, it ain't coming to my house, so it doesn't matter. But uh, it's good news, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is good news about salvation. We get it, we receive it, and we take it and share it with somebody else. Now, uh, we've discussed that the gospel, <laughs> that it's the gospel of Jesus, not of man. And we've also discussed what the first two parts of the gospel is. It is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, and it is the righteousness in Jesus' righteous living that makes salvation possible for us. Now, the, the miracle of the virgin birth is not the virgin, it's the Father. Just like the righteousness of Christ is about the Father, and that's why we as sinners cannot be righteous on our own because we are of our Father, the devil. It is a Father problem. Everybody understand that? Okay, now, and as always, I want to approach it from God's point of view, not man's point of view, not religion's point of view, and I want you to understand what, <laughs> what God says and how he sees it. Now, the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection are what we're going to cover next. We're not going to get all three tonight. We're going to get one, and then next week we'll pick up the other two. Uh, but you have to understand something. <laughs> the, de- the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus have everything to do with him being our sacrifice. Him paying our sin debt and him being the high priest to be able to apply the sin debt. Now, uh, I'll explain that in detail as we go on here. Uh, You're going to understand some terms in the Bible. We're going to be using Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to be using a lot of scripture. And and may I say this? Last week, I could have used three times as much scripture. Tonight, I could use 10 times as much scripture. We don't have time to go through every scripture. It would take weeks. Uh, I want you to get a good, uh, firm foundation. But I want to make this statement. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the doctrine that is involved with this, listen to this, this is where religion or religious people begin to mess with the gospel. Man wants to pay part of the price and do his part. Well, we found out last week we're not saved by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So one of two things has to take place. Either Jesus' righteousness pays for in full, or what he did was in vain. And he didn't need to come. It's only one of those two things. Now, uh, we are sinners, and nothing we can do can pay our part. It is the gospel that saves us, not us. Go back to Romans 1.16 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, what's it? The gospel. Is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also the Greek. Watch, watch this. In other words, God didn't say that it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who joins the church or gets baptized or lives a certain lifestyle. No, it is the power of the gospel that gives us that ability by believing in what the gospel is to take us to heaven. We'll get to that here shortly. The gospel, the price for salvation had to be paid by a sinless righteous person there's only one that qualified jesus christ now let's jump into this are you ready we're going to use some bible so lick your finger and don't stick it in somebody's ear all right jesus is our lamb as the payment for our sin um Sorry, that was from Scott. Uh, Jesus is the lamb, the sacrifice, as payment for our sin. Now, there's a few things involved with this, and you're going to start seeing all of the Bible come together. If you'll listen carefully, I promise I won't lose you. First of all, God requires a blood sacrifice for sin. It is a blood sacrifice. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. 
And I want you to look at verse number 19. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 19. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse number 19. For when Moses had spoken of every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the what blood of calves and of goats with water and with scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things uh, are, are by the law purged with blood. Now watch this. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Yes, sir. Wow. God says then, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. That's right. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. You say, preacher, that's way back. Okay, let me show you what took place. Genesis chapter 4. You know the story of Cain and Abel. But I want you to see what the problem was and what happens. Genesis chapter 4, look at verse number 1. Uh, verse 2. And she again, speaking of Eve, bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, Cain was a, we would call him a dirt farmer, a plant farmer, but Abel was a herder. He took care of the animals, correct? Look at verse number three. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. Ooh. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock, of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel into his offering, but unto Cain into his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt, not, shalt thou not be accepted. But if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now look at me. Here's what took place. God was requiring a sacrifice, a, an offering. And God said it has to be a blood sacrifice. You don't get blood from plants. But Cain said, I'm bringing my stuff. I'm not getting anything from a brother. I'm not buying it from him. And God, if you don't like what I have, too bad. But look at verse number seven. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. That term sin literally means a sin offering lieth at the door. God said, if you'll just open the door, I have a lamb crouched ready to jump into your arms and I'll provide it myself for you. And Cain said, I'm not doing it. God, you accept what I have or you don't accept it. And God did not accept it. 
If you went all the way to the book of Jude, right before Revelation, we'll not take time to turn there. The Bible said, thou hast gone in the way of Cain. In other words, man is trying to tell God what God has to accept because it's religious. False religion is man telling God what Cain said. God, you have to accept baptism. You have to accept me being a member of the church. You have to accept my good deeds trying to outweigh the bad deeds. You have to accept my sincerity. And God says, no, you need a blood sacrifice. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So God requires a blood sacrifice. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We're not. When God came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they had sinned. And they, they had, watch this. They had tried to cover themselves with leaves, plants. God said, no, that won't cover you. God made them coats of skins. Oh, may I ask you a question? Can you take skins off of animals without blood? Nope. That was the first sacrifice. He was showing them the payment for their sin. That's why in Genesis 3.15, he was talking about Jesus and that Jesus would crush the head of Satan, but Satan would bruise the heel of Jesus. That's what Calvary was all about. Jesus' heel was bruised at Calvary, but Jesus crushed the devil. Now, all that to say, now we're getting into the second part of this. Next, Jesus is our lamb. I want you to notice a statement, though. I didn't say Jesus was our lamb. Jesus is our lamb. He is the ever eternal present lamb of God. Say, why is that important? Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1, we're going to look at two verses here, and then we're going to launch into a bunch of verses. You ready? John chapter 1, look at verse number 29. Speaking of John the Baptist, uh, verse 28. These things were done in uh, Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the what? Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of of the world. Oh, that's the blood sacrifice, right? That's the lamb without blemish. Look down to verse number 36. Uh, verse 35. And again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the lamb of God. Now I want you to notice something. John the Baptist calls Jesus the lamb of God. Why? Because he is going to be the sinless, righteous sacrifice for our sin. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on. Turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse number... Well... 
I tell you what, let's let's jump over to Revelation. I I, I don't want to get into that tonight because I'm going to get stuck. We'll pick that up next week. Uh, Revelation chapter 5. I know me too well. I'm too wound up. Hang on. Revelation chapter 5. Look at verse number 8. This is after the rapture. As soon as the rapture takes place, Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1. And after this I looked, behold, a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard was as of a trumpet talking with me who had said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things that must be hereafter. By the way, that's where it goes back to First Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, uh, when it talks about that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and the trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Where does that take place? Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1. And I heard, as it were, a voice like a trumpet that said, Come up hither. Then you see all the saints gathered in chapter 4. Chapter 5, look at verse number 8. I'm about to shout. And when he had taken the book, and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the what? Oh, wait a minute. You sound like a bunch of Methodists. Fell down before the what? That's better. Now I know you're awake. Having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast what? Slain. And hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are un, uh, un, in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the what? Lamb forever and ever. Notice Jesus is being talked about in heaven as the lamb and he is the reason we're there. Skip down to chapter 7, verse number 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse number 9. And after this, behold, lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne, before the what? Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Notice the lamb and salvation always go together. It didn't say the church. Didn't say the baptistry. Didn't say man's righteousness. It said the lamb. Uh, verse number 12. Uh, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be unto our God forever. Amen. And one of the elders answering said, What are these that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Guess what? Our righteousness and our cleanness and the cleansing of our sin comes by the blood 
of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 12, we'll look at one verse. Look at verse number 11. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Notice they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And I am in no way, no way giving you all the verses, trust me. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, look at verse number 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come up hither, and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. That's the saved. Look down to verse number 22, same chapter. And I saw no temple therein. Thank God. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun nor the moon nor the shine in it. For the glory of God did lighteneth, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And I, I could go on more and more verses. I'm not going to. Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse number 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the what? In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits. It yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there were no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Now I want you to notice something. It's very clear who the Lamb is, correct? That's Jesus. Now, the Lamb is in reference to Passover. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read fast. I got about 12 or 13 verses here. And then I'm going to read a couple verses in Hebrews. And then I'm going to fly and get through some more of this. Uh, Exodus chapter 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, verse number 1, and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Basically, that was the month of April to us. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take unto him every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, and a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls to every man, according to the eat, eating, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? God knew the difference between a male and a female. Of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep and from the, or from the goats. You shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. They shall eat the flesh in that night, roast, it, uh, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire the head with the legs and with the puritans thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remaineth of it in the morning, you shall burn with fire. 
And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token. Notice that statement. It shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. This day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it uh, to a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it to a feast by an ordinance forever. Now look at me. This is the Lord's Passover. This is before they are leaving the land of Egypt. This is the last of the plagues. And I want you to notice something. If they killed the lamb and ate it, were they safe? No. They had to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the side post in the, in the top part of the door because on the outside, when the Lord saw that, he would pass by and not kill the firstborn in the home, correct? So it wasn't just the death of the lamb, it was the blood of the lamb. What did it say about there's no salvation? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It's not just the death, it is the application of the blood. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. I really thought I was going to get through this. I'm going to try it real fast. Hebrews chapter 7. Get there fast. You ready? I'm going to start reading in verse number 11. If you're not there, just look at whatever page you're on and nobody will know. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood. Notice that's in reference to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Old Testament tabernacle and temple, correct? The Levitical priesthood. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called to order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed is made of a necessity of a change also of the law. For he of whom uh, these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Look at me. The Levites were the priestly tribe, right? You couldn't be a high priest unless you were from the tribe of Levi, correct? But God said there's going to be a change in the priesthood. Hang on, look at verse number 14. For it is evident that our Lord, who's that in reference to? Jesus, sprang out of what? Judah. Notice Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, not Levi. Why is that? Let's keep reading. Of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. It has yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of the carnal commandment, 
but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art the priest after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. Wow. But by bringing in a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest for those priests the levitical priests were made without an oath but this with an oath by him that said unto him the lord swear and will not repent thou art priest forever after the order of melchizedek by so much was jesus made a surety of a better testament and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. That's Jesus. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth and maketh intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, he became us, became a man, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this did he once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, capital S, Jesus, who is consecrated forevermore. Guess what? Jesus is our high priest. And he did away with the Levitical priesthood. And to make sure that people didn't worship the Levitical priesthood, he came out of Judah, not Levi. That's why this preacher ain't wearing no dress. We are not under the Levitical priesthood. And anybody who stays under the Levitical priesthood is denying that Jesus was who he said he was. Now, hang on. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read fast. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse number 10. By which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Notice the Old Testament sacrifices didn't take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. For after that he said before, But this is the covenant which I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near uh, with true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Can I tell you something? Jesus is our high priest. He not only was the lamb when he died at Calvary, he stayed buried for three days and three nights as the manifestation of God in the flesh, showing he was a man, and he resurrected as our high priest, took his own blood, went into the tabernacle in heaven, put his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, and stands before the Father as our high priest, ever interceding for us. And the priesthood was done away because Jesus is the high priest. Now, because Jesus is the lamb, he paid the price, and we don't need to look. <laughs> uh, we don't need to look ahead at what he will do. He did it. Turn to Colossians chapter two, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm getting back to Romans. Hang on. I'm not lost, and I didn't chase a rabbit. Colossians chapter two. Well, what about all the Old Testament things and the traditions of the Old Testament? Aren't those, uh, and God bless the, the Jewish people, they still want to hold on to their traditions and they don't understand what Jesus did for them. Look at verse number eight. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through faith, the operation of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he hath quickened together with him, having forgiven all your, all you all trespasses. Now watch this. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things that come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your word voluntarily, uh, in humility and worshiping of angels, intruding those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by fleshly mind. And I could go on and on and on and on. I'm not going to go because i got another points here. Turn to Romans chapter 5. And I don't have time to read all these verses. I got one more point to get to tonight. Lord have mercy. Romans chapter 5, I'm just going to start in verse number 6. For when you were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Yes, sir. Uh, look at verse number 8. But God commandeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Us, much more than being now justified by his 
blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Now, look down also in verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. That's Adam, correct? And death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And I, you could read all the way down to verse number 21. Uh, look at verse number 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Who's that one? Jesus. Uh, we could turn to Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 15. I don't have time to read them. Write it down. Go look at it. Now, Jesus was the perfect, the complete sacrifice. The word perfect means complete. The Old Testament sacrifices were looking ahead to what Jesus would do. Just like in the New Testament, we take the Lord's Supper to look back at what he did do. Does taking of the Lord's Supper save anybody? No, it does not. Nor did giving sacrifices save anybody. Now, I'm going to say something here that's going to shake a few of you because I'm sure you've never thought this. Jesus started the church. That's not a shock. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wasn't talking to Peter and Peter wasn't the first pope. He said, upon this rock, the word Peter is the word Petros, which means pebble. When he said upon this rock, it means cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus himself did not want the church to practice Passover. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, because before Calvary was Passover. And guess what Jesus did with his disciples right before he was betrayed? What we call the Lord's Supper. He didn't partake in the Passover. He said, I'm doing away with that. This do in remembrance of me. Don't do that. Do this. Jesus did not want us fiddling around with Passover. I think it's wrong for Christians to go back to do something just to fiddle around to see what it was because Jesus already came and fulfilled it. Everybody doing okay? Jesus did not partake of it. He didn't do it. He was the Passover lamb. Now, Jesus was the sacrifice that died so that we could go free. I'm going to show you something. I'm about to shout. I got three minutes. Turn to Leviticus chapter 16. There were many different types of sacrifices. You had the heave offering. That's not the flu. Uh, you had the, you had the many different types of sacrifices, but this one in particular, you don't hear, uh, as much about, but you've heard it. It's called the scapegoat. 
Let me read you what God says, and then I'm going to show you a verse in the book of Romans, and we're all going to shout, pray, and go home. Leviticus chapter uh, 16. Did I say that right? Leviticus chapter 16. Look at verse number 8. Look at verse 7. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. By the way, isn't it amazing that in the Old Testament you could use doves, oxen, lambs, goats. It didn't matter which animals per se. There was a multitude of animals that could be used, but there was only one perfect sacrifice, which was Jesus. Uh, Verse number eight. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other lot for the scapegoat. In other words, they would bring two goats Aaron would cast lots, and whoever got the short straw or whatever, one was for the Lord, the other was the scapegoat, correct? Now what would take place? Look at verse number 9. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. In other words, he would cut its throat, keep the blood in a bowl, and they would burn that sacrifice. Then verse 10. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And what they would do is take the blood from that first goat and they would smear it all over that other goat. They would take that goat out and release it and nobody was allowed to harm that scapegoat. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse number 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living what? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now look at me. Do you know that in all of the Bible, there's only one living sacrifice? It's the scapegoat. What happens is this, Brother Josh. Here's what happens. Two goats are presented. One's the Lord's, one's the scapegoat. The Lord gets his throat cut. Aren't you glad you weren't me? The blood's taken, smeared all over this one. He's taken and let free. He is the living sacrifice because of the one that paid the price for him. And it's the application of the blood on the sacrifice that made him free. Have a seat. The moment you get saved, the blood's applied to our account. Bless God, we're set free as the scapegoat. God says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. You are the scapegoat because of the blood of the Lord's Lamb on your life, and it's your reasonable service to do what God wants you to do. That's the reality of the scapegoat. Jesus' death was him as our Lamb. Or our sacrifice. His burial proved that he did it as a man in flesh that could die. 
But his resurrection shows him as our high priest that not only took our sacrifice, but he applied it in heaven for us. We're going to touch those other two things next week. But you saw him tonight as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You saw him as the Lamb of God, our sacrifice, who also made us the scapegoat because of his sacrifice. What a powerful truth it is. Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It's not by a preacher. It's not by a priest. It's not by uh, our righteousness. It's not by a baptistry. It's not by church membership. It's not by money you give. It's not by ordinances. It's not by counting beads and praying to Mary and praying this and doing this and praying to saints and worshiping people and angels. No, it is by the blood of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Let's bow our heads. I'm done.